we're going to dive into what dating looks like according to Jesus. Come on. Are you guys excited for that? <laughs> I thought I heard a few boos in there. That's okay. I get it. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're so, so glad you are here. I hope you feel at home. Thank you for coming to join us. Please come meet me after service. I'm not going to be that awkward. I'm a little awkward. Hopefully not a whole lot awkward. I'll give you like a bro hug or something. It'll be fun for everyone. I hope that you know that you are loved and welcomed here no matter what your background is. Specifically as we jump into the idea of dating, we come from many different places, many different ideas of what that looks like. But no matter what your opinion is and no matter what your background is, you are welcomed and loved in this place. We are all imperfect people seeking after a perfect God. None of us have all the right answers, but we just try to look to the word of God and say what Jesus says goes. So as before we jump into dating, I wanted to share my wife Taylor and I's dating story. It's going to be, oh, that's a terrible response. I was like, oh. So for Taylor and I, our dating story is a little bit unique. The spring before my freshman year of college, so as, as a senior in high school, is the first time I got a real girlfriend. And we dated for a few months, and we broke up right before I headed to college in Minnesota. As I said last week, if you were here, I desperately wanted a spouse. Like, I was, I think, like, 15 and cried about not being married. It was weird. So after that relationship ended, I was an emotional wreck. I thought the world had fallen apart. I remember when my parents dropped me off for college. We went to a park together, my parents and I. I was, again, not the coolest kid in the world. We went to a park, and I saw some girls running by us. And I was just so sad. Like, I'll never find one of them. <laughs> I thought, there's no chance I'll find a spouse that loves Jesus. And this part's a little creepy, so hold on to me. If this is your first time, please don't be too scared and run away. But my parents and I realized what school these girls were from, and it was different than my own school. So we drove to their campus to see how far it is from my campus. I was pretty desperate. I'm not going to lie to you. I never met any of those girls, so it turned out okay. But back to the park. So I was at this park, and I remember this park had a lake, and I was looking off in the distance, contemplating my future and how I was destined to be single forever. And as I'm contemplating, my brother Daniel texts me because he knew I was being a sad sack and said, there's this girl at UNI. So a little backstory, my brother Daniel was the, just taken over as the leader here at Chi Alpha at UNI. And so naturally he wanted me to come and join him. I did not want to join him, but he knew the weight of my heart was women. So, <laughs> so he, as I'm sitting there staring off into the abyss of loneliness, I get a text from my brother and say, hey, yo, bro, why don't you look up this girl, Taylor Harmon, on Facebook? And this might be a little bit TMI. I remember sitting on the porter potty, <laughs> contemplating, should I add her or not? And I did add her while I was going to the bathroom. So, <laughs> A few weeks later, I remember I was, in my, I was in the car with one of my other brothers, Aaron. I don't remember where we were driving to. And I got a Facebook message from that Taylor Harmon telling me that I should go to this Chi Alpha fall retreat thing. The sole reason that I went to Chi Alpha was because of Taylor. I was so desperate that I was willing to come and talk about Jesus for a weekend to meet a girl. And I remember when we got to the campground where the fall retreat was at, and I just sat there and waited for her. I got out. I was way earlier than everyone, and I was like, this is nice. So Taylor showed up very, very late. I think the service may have already even started. Who knows? And the first thing she says to me, is this, oh, you're Derek. I think we're supposed to get married. That's the first thing my wife said to me. 
oh, that's good. That's a good way to respond. It's weird looking back. Don't start off conversations like that. You'll be single forever. <laughs> but the rest of that night, I remember I just felt so awkward. I said this last week is I'm not like chill with girls. I'm like, hi, how are you? It's nice to see you. And I just avoided Taylor like the plague. If she's worshiping on that corner, I'm going to that corner. And I'm going to stare at her the whole time because she's the reason I'm here, but I'm not going to make conversation. Remember, the, so on the Friday night of Fall Retreat, we have a pizza party. And so they give pizza, and it was much smaller. Like everyone who's at the Fall Retreat could, would be like less than people are in this room right now. And so I'm sitting next to my brother, and Taylor comes and pops a squat next to me and starts trying to have conversation. And I just, beep, scoot in my chair this way so I didn't have to look at her. And she's like, so what's your major? I'm like, I don't know. I just started college. Who knows what's going on? She was older than me, so ha, I won. <laughs> and the next day, I remember people just kept cracking jokes and saying, oh, they're going to get married. Ha, 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 ha. Little did they know they were right. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't screw this up. I can't let my awkwardness get in the way. She's pretty cute. And there's a slight chance here. I got to take my shot. So I decided it was my time to bust a move. We flirted most of the day. I remember she was looking at me while I was playing flag football. We have a pretty intense flag football tournament at Fall Retreat. And I played my heart out. I'm like, I'm about to be Tom Brady to this girl. I'm going to show her my moves. And again, I was not coordinated or good. But I was like, what's up? Touchdown. Oh, I didn't see you over there. Nice to see you. <laughs> and then that night, we stayed up all night by a bonfire talking, getting to know each other, learning her favorite songs, learning things like that. And I pursued Taylor. And on this journey, my friends, especially my brother, helped me. They helped me learn how to do this. And from that moment, from that bonfire night, we were on a journey towards marriage. We were far from perfect in our relationship, but the fact is that every step of the way, we had marriage in mind. Literally, the first step was we're supposed to get married. Again, don't, that's not the right way always. But we did keep marriage in mind, which is a very, very good thing to have the end in mind. We knew that we were on a trajectory towards something, and we wanted to make sure that we were headed in the same direction. And that's what dating is. Dating is finding someone that you're interested in, pursuing them and getting to know them, and trying to find out if the person is the one that you will spend your life with. I know a lot of us find dating hard, stressful, confusing, and I'm convinced that dating and engagement is the hardest and worst time in life. It's not fun. So you might be in this room and wondering, how in the world can I balance dating with God? How can I have a healthy romantic relationship? How can I date and honor what our creator told me to do in my relationship? How can I have these personal desires that pull on me so hard and not give in to them? You might think that you're the only person in, the, in this room who has these thoughts and has these struggles and has this baggage, but you are not alone. Most of us in here struggle with these thoughts and these questions. You're not the only person in this room who has had trouble with dating, sexual identity, addiction, or seen your life messed up by a dating relationship. Almost everyone in this room has had some kind of struggle with dating and sexuality. So welcome to the club. If you feel guilt about your relationship history, or think, if they only knew my past, they wouldn't want me here. That we wouldn't love you. You're not alone. Again, a lot of people in this room probably are thinking the same thing. You're in a room full of people who have made mistakes with their dating lives that have made poor sexual decisions. And you are welcome here to go on a journey with us as we figure this out together. Because none of us have all the right answers, but we're willing to go on a journey to figure out what God says. And you are welcomed and loved. And there's nothing you could have done in your past that will change that. That we love you and that more importantly, God loves you way more than we could ever imagine no matter what your sexual history is. I know this is a hard conversation to have. I know it is awkward, and you're like, I don't want my pastor to talk to me about dating and sex. This is uncomfy. I agree. It's uncomfortable, but here we are. We're going to have some fun. 
Something else that I think makes dating hard is that it is relatively new. If you read the scriptures, there's no dating in the Bible. It didn't exist back then. Parents picked their kids as spouses. Some of you are like, oh, that sounds terrible. But to be honest, I'd be like, okay, then I get one at least. That'd been fun. <laughs> but now in society, we go around trying our hardest to find our future spouses. And that can lead to rejection, heartache, regrets. And if we're honest, it can really damage us. There is hope, though. We are in part two of our love series entitled Loveology. This is based off a book by an amazing pastor in Portland, Oregon named John Mark Comer. This book is amazing. And tonight, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of what I'm going to say comes directly from a chapter in here entitled The Song. He captures dating so beautifully that I couldn't help but steal a lot of what he says. So he has his credit. I cannot get sued by the university. I have not plagiarized because I've said John Mark Comer, his ideas, me speaking them. Last week, we dove into what love looks like, and we concluded that love is laying down our lives for each other. If you weren't here last week, that's it. Love's laying down your life. You can still go back and listen, but there you get the main idea. And we talked about how there's four types of love in the Greek language. So the New Testament was written in different languages, written in Greek. And in the Greek language, they have the word phileo, which means love, which is like friendship love. They've got storge, which is like affection love, like what you have for your dog or your parents. They have eros love, which is like sexy time love. That's the, that's the one. And then we have agape love, which is godly love. And what we learned last week is that we have to balance these situations. And we have to balance these loves and use them to lay our lives down for people around us. And before we dive into the nitty-gritty of dating, we must get this in our hearts. We must balance these four loves and, li- and lay our lives down for people, especially our significant others. Another question that we talked about last week, and if you didn't write it down last week, write it down right now. Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? That's a fun one. This is crucial to dating. We must become the one before we start trying to find the one. And the only way to become the one is to look to the example of Jesus Christ and follow it. We must lay down our lives. And as we dive into dating tonight, don't forget that God wants all of you. He wants to to show you that agape, godly love. Finally, remember, love is a decision. It is obedience. It is trust and it's sacrifice. We must be willing to serve people like Jesus did. And although the Bible does not talk about dating specifically because it wasn't a thing of that time, it does tell the story of a couple leading to marriage. This story is told in the book of Song of Solomon. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to that. And some people think that this book, Song of Solomon, is an allegory to our relationship with God. And I and John Mark Comer think this is just the story of a couple falling in love. And God saying that romantic love is good and it's okay. And he shows you how it can look in a healthy way. He celebrates it, the story of a king and a shepherd girl falling for each other. And through this story, we get some tips on what dating can look like. Our world is so broken in regards to romance. Divorce rates are growing. Hookup culture is on the rise. Sex is becoming a thing that happens outside of loving relationship. And there's a growing amount of children that are growing up without one of their parents. And God wrote this story in Song of Solomon to show us what love looks like in a broken and messed up world. That we are to enjoy romance within the boundaries that God has given us. Romance is a wonderful God-given thing if we do it in the boundaries he's given us. So we will use different parts of the story throughout the night. But before we dive into the story, I want to frame our discussion around four marks. John Mark Homer gives four marks of a healthy dating relationship. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And mark one is the chase. The chase. So if you have notes, mark one, the chase. Write it down. It'll make sense. And we start our story off with our guy pursuing his lady. For the context of the 21st century, we can think of it like a guy coming up to a girl and say, hey, yo, 
You want to go get some Starbucks, me and you? All right, so Song of Solomon 2 is where we're going to be reading out of the start. Song of Solomon 2, verses 8 through 13. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. So this is the, the female speaking. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle. My beloved is like a gazelle. Come on. Or a young stag. There's options here. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our head, our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, and they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Two times in this passage, the guy calls to his beloved, and he says, arise, and come away. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to learn more about dating and to learn what you have called of us. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for every person in this room. We love you so much. Amen. All right, so twice the guy says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Men, speaking to you, we can't just sit on our couches and expect the girls to come to us while we play video games. We have to get up, leap over some mountains, run like a gazelle, and ask her out. That is the man's job to pursue her, to let her know that he is after her. If there is a girl that is interested in you and you are interested in her, you have to tell her or else nothing will happen. In this, <laughs> in this story, the man is encouraging the girl. He's saying, my beloved, come out of hiding. I am safe. You will be safe with me. I will protect you. He is pursuing her in a loving way. We must note, though, this is important, men. This is not a one-way street. This is not an excuse for you to force yourself upon a girl and say, Pastor Derek said, I got to ask. I'm going to ask, and you best be saying yes. Let's go, gazelle. No, that's not what we're saying in this place. The interest must be mutual, or else you're getting in trouble. If she says she's not interested, right? wait for it, wait for it. If she says she's not interested, leave her alone. <laughs> However, men, this isn't just for you. Women, how are they going to know that the interest is mutual? If you don't tell them. In the beginning of the book of Song of Solomon, the woman says, your love is better than wine. Draw after me. Let us run. She didn't play hard to get. She didn't say, ha ha, I'm over here. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. No. She let him know. She said, come run with me. She let them know that she's waiting at the door. Please just knock. Ladies, you cannot hide away searching Pinterest and expect your gazelle to come running in. You have to be out and ready for your men to run and leap over the mountains. So in the lobby out there, when we see circles of men and circles of women cross-pollinating, will not happen unless it's like a middle school dance and say, I'm crossing the line. I'm going to go find my mamacita. So men, get some courage and ask her out. Women, don't play hard to get. The point is it is up to the man to pursue the girl. I know that goes against what we think in society, but that is biblical. The man is called the lead. In Genesis chapter 2, we learn about Adam and Eve, which are the first two people. Adam leads Eve. Men are called to lead. And even though you aren't married yet, you can make the initial steps of leading women by pursuing her. This doesn't give you an excuse to dominate her, but to lead her lovingly in sacrifice. The Bible is clear that we lead through self-sacrifice. We cannot be too scared of rejection that we never put ourselves out there. We live in a world that is so scared to be rejected, that's so scared to be let down. 
and this leads to less and less romantic conversations. In fact, young people are having less sex than ever, or not ever before, but then in the last 50 years. I would love to say that we are having less sex because we have a newfound commitment to Jesus and we're all being absent, pursuing purity. But that is not the case, my friends. There are actually two reasons behind the less sex. The first one is porn. Porn is fulfilling that need in people's lives and giving people a messed up view of sexuality. But that's not the only reason behind less sex. Another huge factor is that our generation struggles with having conversations and flirting. With the rise of the digital age, as we text and spend time on Twitter, it's kind of hard to talk to people in person. If you can't have a conversation, then you can't flirt. And if you can't flirt, you can't seduce. And if you can't seduce, said lady, sex becomes difficult. Unless you are just so attractive that they look at you like, mm, I don't care if you can speak. <laughs> but that is not my story. I had to have some conversations. Whenever I just texted a girl, it just got really uncomfortable in person, and I would just hide. So we must learn how to have conversations with the opposite sex. I think the biggest issue that we have when it comes to asking people on dates, for you men specifically, is that we find our self-worth in their response. If they respond positively, I am good and I am worthy of love. But if they respond negatively, I am rejected and worthless. And that is false. Our self-worth does not come from the opposite gender. It comes from our God in heaven. We can ask people out and we cannot be scared if we root our identity in Jesus and say he is good and he is king no matter if she says yes or no. Because you are his son or you are his daughter. And as I say these things about not fearing rejection, I have to be honest with you. I was deadly, deathly scared of rejection growing up. And I think part of this goes back to a summer at church camp. So for those of you who don't know, church camp is just a week in the summer where a bunch of teenagers from various churches across the state come together to learn about Jesus. That is the intention. To many teenagers, though, this is the week where they're booing up. They're about to find that future spouse, the love of my life. If I have to learn about Jesus in the meantime, that's okay as long as she's there. And I think a lot of teenagers come into this weekend not thinking about what they will walk away with with a closer relationship with Jesus, but instead that they will walk away with their future love. Hold on. This is annoying me. So I'm going to take this off. No, if you'll mute this. Check, check, sweet. All right, I was sick of the buzzing and beeping, so or whatever that was. Maybe just my breath. Anyways, church camp, teenagers excited and feeling a little too frisky. I think a lot of teenagers come into this week thinking that they are going to find their spouse. And I was no exception to this. I remember the summer before my ninth grade year, I was on the green team. They split you up into teams with some people from your church and other churches. And when I looked at my team, I remember looking around, I'm like, I found her. She was everything I dreamed of. She was the girl I was going to marry. She was the answer to my prayers and longings at night. I spent the week watching her win our games for us and performing gloriously on the battlefield. And I thought, this is how we will fall in love. However, I did not have a conversation with her. But I was convinced we were destiny. Then came the Thursday of camp. We're getting ready to wrap up the week. And just for some backstory, I was not a very coordinated child, so I was not good at the game. She was out there getting us W's, and I was sitting in the back, like, if I play, I'm about to screw this up for us. So I remember, oh, this, I hate this memory. We were getting ready to play, 
the game. I think it was an individual obstacle course. And she looked over to me and uttered one of the worst sentences I've ever heard. She said, hey, little buddy. Do you want to try a turn? I was crushed. She viewed me as her little buddy. Looking back, I should have seen this coming. She was a senior in high school, going to go to college. I was a freshman. She was tall and pretty. I was short and rather goofy looking. However, I was ruined and rejected. However, not every story ends this way. When you're getting ready to ask someone out, don't think the only possible outcome is that they will tell you that you are their little buddy, because this will make you run and hide. I want to counter my first story with a different story from my senior year of high school. To backtrack, all throughout high school, after that summer, I had a crush on the same girl. She was like the student body president. She was really smart. I thought she was really cute. I thought this girl is the queen of queens. However, after that summer at camp, I was not about to put myself out there and talk to her. I didn't even talk to the first girl, and she rejected me. So throughout all four years of high school, we had classes together, and she honestly became my closest friend that was a female, but I was never about to push it past that. I never worked up the courage to ask her out. Then came my senior year. We were, it was spring break, and we went to Disney World for a show choir competition. I remember she came up to me and said, Derek, and this is right before we're getting ready to graduate, why'd you never ask me out? I was like, whoa, whoa, what? What do you mean why didn't I just ever ask you out? The girl of my dreams would have went out with me if I would have asked. I blew my opportunity. She was going to a school far away, and I was already talking to someone else at the time. So I lost my chance. Looking back, I'm very glad I didn't ask her out because I have a wonderful, beautiful wife. I love you, honey. So it's good. Now, she's definitely was supposed to be my wife, but senior year Derek was pretty torched, to be honest, and pretty mad at himself. I know many of us in here find it hard to put ourselves out there because we fear rejection. And I tell you these stories to implore you men especially to work up the courage and lead the woman. Lead them by asking them out. We don't dominate women, but we take the lead in the first mark, which is the chase. I think we take dating a little bit too seriously. Not dating as in being in a relationship, like boyfriend, girlfriend, that's serious. But dating as in going on dates. I think we're like, I can't get coffee with them. If someone sees us, we're going to have to get married because that's what Derek and Taylor did. No. <laughs> Ask her out to coffee. Get to know her a little bit. If we don't take ourselves too seriously, if we go, we ask her. If she says no, okay, that's fine. If she says yes and we go and we don't hit it off, that's okay. We're still friends. But you never know. Maybe she could be the one. You never know. Your future spouse may just be a coffee date away. Men, we must be willing to lay down our lives and sacrifice our fear of rejection to lead our women in chase. Sacrifice and trust God enough to ask her out. All right, that was the fun mark. Mark number two, the line. In our story in Song of Solomon, our woman is a virgin on her wedding night. It's very clear. This doesn't mean that she doesn't have sexual desires before their wedding night, though. To be honest, some of the things she says in this book is a little weird. She's like, my honey, who I love, is glistening, and I think he's so handsome. And this is before the marriage, so she, clearly she's getting a little sexually charged before the wedding night. The language throughout the book proves this to be true. However, every time she starts to share her sexual feelings for her betrothed, she goes back to the common chorus that we read in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Ready for this? His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. See, that's sexually charged. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, 
listen, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Don't stir or awaken love until it pleases, until the time is right. The woman is pleading with us. She's begging us, do not awaken love too early. She knows the hold that it can have, the dangers of waking up sexual love too early. Wait until God says it is okay, and the only time that God says it's okay for you to have a sexual relationship is in the covenant of marriage. That's when the four loves come together, and they're harnessed in a perfect place. That's when he pours his agape love on your relationship and says it is okay and is a good idea to start a sexual relationship. I think we're asking the wrong question. We are constantly asking how far is too far. That was my question we're dating. Like, how far, how much stuff can I do till it's okay? We are obviously sexually charged before marriage, so we constantly ask, what can I do? Can we kiss? Can we make out? Can we cuddle? Can we spend the night together? Can we roll around together? We're asking these things like, what is Jesus okay with? However, according to this woman, that is the wrong question to be asking, my friends. The question that we should be asking is not how far is too far, but when can we start? She would argue, as would I, that we shouldn't ask how close to the line can I get, but we should ask how far away can I go to protect myself? When can we start? And the answer to that question is always marriage. We must understand that all sexual activity outside of marriage is off limits. Sex, oral sex, touching each other. The Bible is clear that if something causes you to lust, it is a sin. And I guarantee you that if you are making out, rolling around together, you are lusting. I could never make out with Taylor now after being married for almost four years and not lust. And the Bible is very clear that it's a sin. Matthew 5 says in verses 27 through 28, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, which is like cheating on your spouse. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That means you don't get to do a little, like, boom, boom with your eyes, men. You don't get to check out the booty. Keep your eyes up. Look straight. And God's not just sitting here thinking, oh, it's cool if they do a little bit of lusting. Like, they can sin a little bit as long as they don't do the deed. That's a strange concept that we've created in Christian culture. That as long as I don't have sex with them, that we're okay. Instead of saying, how far can we go, let's just run from sin. And practically speaking, as a married person, awakening love too early is not fun. Our bodies were designed to go all the way. We weren't made to do some stuff, get really sexually charged, and stop. That doesn't sound like a good time to me. That is not comfortable. We were made that when we wake in love love or get sexually excited to finish the job. That's what our bodies are intended to do. So that's why it's hard to make out and cuddle and say, okay, we're done. Have a good night. That's not how we were designed by God. The phrase is said three times in this book, don't awaken love. Let's think of it this way. So here is Jesus, okay? And I want you to imagine you're like on a cliff, like on a mountain. So Jesus is here. We have all like grassy land. This is all good. And then as we get closer to this way, imagine it kind of like pointing to where it gets harder to walk. It's kind of like a plank, like a pirate ship. You've got you to watch your step. And then here's a cliff, okay? This cliff is sexual sin. So I think sometimes what we do is we think, how far can I go before falling off? I might have to tiptoe a little bit, but I'm on the edge. And then you like have one foot on, one foot off. And that sounds really uncomfortable. It's way harder to not fall off if you're trying to balance on the edge. When instead what King Jesus says, I'm over there, run to me and see what happens. And as we run to him, the land expands and it is not hard 
life over here is not that hard, sexually speaking. Yes, there's difficulties, but as we run towards our sin and as we do one more thing that we probably shouldn't do, one more thing and one more thing, we're probably going to fall off. Maybe that's the way we were designed. So don't ask how far is too far. The only way we can be safe is to run as far away from sexual sin as possible and run to Jesus. Run away from our sexual sin. You might be asking this question, why is it bad to awaken sexual love before marriage? What is it? Who cares? It's a fair question. I've got an answer. So why is it wrong to awaken love before marriage? I've actually got three answers. So there's this Hebrew word, ikad, and this for one. And you might have heard this in the Bible where it says, like, two will become one flesh. So in marriage, two become one. That's, ikad is the word for that. And when two people have sex, they become one, and they are bound together. They are fused at the deepest parts. It makes you feel very connected to that person. And if you do this before the covenant of marriage, it's going to bind you to someone that you don't have a covenant with. They can just leave the next morning if you don't perform well enough. And that can drag out a terrible relationship much longer because you feel so connected physically that even though emotionally they're rude to you and abuse you, you stay in the relationship. And on the other end, when and if the relationship does break off, that causes so much pain. Imagine like two pieces of paper that you stick together with glue. When you rip them off, it's not a smooth, clean rip. You leave parts of yourself with them. Also, second thing is sex obscures our vision and judgment. When you're having sex with someone, you cannot clearly decide if that person is right for you. We all know the person who is with someone that they should not be with. But they won't listen to anyone. They just keep going back to them. The relationship that should have ended after a few weeks lasts a few years. And I would almost guarantee it's because of sex. Finally, you cannot build a relationship on sex. It has to be built on friendship and partnership and those other loves. There's no way to know you're right for each other. And that if you have friendship chemistry, if you wake in love too early. Because then you're building your relationship off that. So when that happens, that becomes the centerpiece of your relationship. You have to have a season of life where sex is not involved in order to truly know if that's the one. Because if you don't enjoy them except for sexual pleasure they bring, then that's not going to be a fun marriage. Because although sex is fun, after like 30 years, I imagine it's not as fun anymore. And you get old, and parts don't work, and you need to be friends. Even if you think with all of your heart, I'm going to marry that person. I just haven't yet because I want to wait till I'm financially secure. That's the one. I'm going to marry them. You don't truly know until your wedding day. Taylor and I were not one. I didn't know for sure if she was, ever, if she was not going to leave me until our wedding day. That's when I knew. That's when we signed the contract before God and before the state of Iowa that we were together forever. And you cannot be sure that you're going to marry them because you don't have the blessing of a covenant before God. During dating, we should be building the friendship love, the storge love, the agape love. Eros love or sexual love can wait until marriage. That way we are basing our relationship on the right things. So what does that specifically mean, you might be asking? What can I do? What can I not do? I still want to know. Here's my thoughts. And I'm not a genius. I might not be right, but this is just my suggestions. Don't make out. Don't cuddle. You don't need to kiss for an extended period of time. Do not spend the night together. Don't lay next to each other or on top of each other. Because as I've learned in my relationship, those things make me want to finish the deed. So I imagine... It does the same for you. Doing those things just puts you closer to the cliff. And as you get at the edge, it's harder to not fall off. So if you don't start making out and start kissing and doing these things, it's easier to avoid doing the really bad things that we think of. If you don't, if all you do is kiss, the greatest thing that you could do is make out, 
then that tempta- it's easier to avoid the temptation of making out than it is to avoid the temptation of having sex with someone. So if you get as close to that as possible, it gets really hard to avoid because we're getting closer and closer to where our bodies are designed to be. And God does not tell us these things to ruin our fun, but it's because he loves you. He wants you not to have to work so hard to be sexually pure. He doesn't want you to struggle. But then when you get married, rev up those engines and you can go and sprint all the way off. However, I know some of you, if not a lot of you in this room, have already jumped off that cliff. I want you to know there's still hope. I don't want you to think you're too far gone. Because on the other side of that cliff is a king waiting to catch you and say, I love you, my son and my daughter. Let's get back up on top. Even if you've crossed every line imaginable, crossed all your boundaries, it's okay. Just start anew. Start fresh. Set new boundaries with your relationship. Start a new journey. That is going to mean getting with your significant other and reevaluating your boundaries. And if one or both of you cannot honor God with that and have good boundaries, it might be time to break up or to get married. That's what we did. Jesus loves you too much. I'm, don't just run and get married. You have to like the person. I was kidding. I shouldn't have said that. Don't just, that's not a good excuse. You have to like them. Jesus loves you too much for you to settle for less than your best in a relationship. And his best is amazing sex inside the covenant of marriage. Mark number three is the friends. In this book, the story isn't just about the king and his lady. There's a third party involved, and that is the friends. From the very beginning of the story, their friends approve of the relationship. In Song of Solomon 1, 4, it says, We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. They let other people speak into the relationship. They don't try to figure this thing out for themselves, but they let people who have more wisdom, who have done this thing before, speak into it. If you are in a relationship or pursuing one, let people that have gone before you help you. That's what you're here for. And if someone tells you that there's something wrong with the relationship, that maybe you're with the wrong person or your boundaries aren't great, they might, they're not trying to control you but they just love you enough to speak truth. And they've gone through this before, and they're just looking out for you. They just want the best for you. For example, your small group leader might try to give you wisdom in regards to your dating life, your relationship, your boundaries. And that's not them trying to control you, because if we're being honest, their day-to-day life is not impacted if you make out and roll around with your girlfriend or boyfriend. It's not like they lay awake at night and think, oh, they're making out again. How dare they? No. They just love you, and they want what's best for you. And they care about you. That's why if you do something stupid and you go to your small group leader and say, I, I screwed up again, they're not going to be like, smite thee and s- hit you. They're going to give you a hug and say, I love you. Let's try to do better in the future. They just care about you. And I'll be real with you. Listen up to this. It's not actually fun to tell someone that they're with the wrong person or that they're crossing boundaries. I don't enjoy going up to Billy Bob and saying, oh, yeah, thanks for telling me about your sexual stuff. Uh, don't do that. And then like, why? I like it. It's not fun to do that. But we have those conversations because of what I said last week, that true love is laying down your life for people. And our leaders are willing to lay down their lives and willing for you not to like them because they love you. And they're going to do whatever it takes to help you. They are not trying to control you. And it's really awkward. So they're definitely not doing it just for fun. I promise you that, as in talking about your sexual life. They probably have some wisdom that you don't have. We cannot date in isolation. People in relationships can be blind to the weak spots. Of course, you won't think your boundaries are too far because you're enjoying them. The pleasure you get will blind you. And only people on the outside who have been there will notice that you're probably going too far. Also, let's say you're a leader, if you have a small group leader, if you don't go to a small group, 
But you have a small group leader, and they, they're married, and they have amazing boundaries. They're in a dating relationship. Like, they're not kissing. They don't even look at each other past, like, 4 p.m. They're just perfect. If that's them, don't fall into the comparison trap and say, uh, you're just different, or why can't I be like you and, like, beat yourself up? Or also say, you don't get an opinion because you're Superman. But instead, try to learn from them. They're probably doing something right that could help you. Or maybe your leader was like someone, and they did not have great dating boundaries. Just pointing myself. If not, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, I think that actually gives me a little bit more room to talk when I'm asking about dating boundaries, because I've seen firsthand the destruction that having bad boundaries and doing things sexually and awakening love. I've seen firsthand the destruction that can have on a person's life, and I love you too much to see you feel the pain that I feel. That when I had to tell Taylor all the sexual things I had done beforehand, and I had to break her heart. And I just love you enough to help you and try not to do that. So don't think, you screwed up, so I get to screw up. That's not a good excuse. Instead, let's trust the people who have made mistakes. And this goes against our culture of individualism. But if we want to date successfully, it has to be a communal thing. We must have people to confess to and to challenge us. And that requires us to be humble and to realize we don't have it all figured out. All right, the next mark, and this is our last mark, mark four, the journey. We get to the climax of the story. It's the wedding day. It's in chapter three. We're not going to read it, but it just talks about the wedding. It talks about how amazing and beautiful it is. The story's been leading up to this point. There's been a tension pulling us in. There's a buildup to the wedding day. The goal has been reached. They have made it. All healthy relationships are headed somewhere. Every healthy relationship should be either headed towards or away from marriage. Dating is designed to help us figure out if that person that you're with could be your spouse. Dating just date. It's kind of stupid. It's a waste of your time, your heart, your feelings. Don't just look for a boyfriend or girlfriend. Look for a spouse. This does not mean that you have to have that figured out right away. My story, and I was pretty confident Taylor was my wife after a couple days, that's an anomaly. We are the weirdos. You are not the weirdo for going on a coffee date and thinking, I don't know, maybe they're my spouse, maybe not. That's okay. That's a good thing. You don't have to know that right away. But keep the end in mind. Take time. Go on dates. Try to figure this out. But don't just date to fulfill a a want in your life, but date because that person could be your spouse. Again, do not take dating so seriously as in going on dates. The point of all this is to find your spouse, which means you have to spend time with each other to get to know them. Ask people for coffee. Get to know the opposite gender. Go on this journey and see if you can have friendship love with people. That's the first step. So you do not have to know if that person is the right one right away, but I do implore you to not date until you're ready to get married. If the point of dating is marriage, then you probably shouldn't date until you're ready to get married relatively soon. So if you're 12 years old, you have to ask, where is this relationship going? Or if you're a senior here at UNI and you're going to move to Thailand next fall to teach and you're trying to date a freshman who's got four years left at Cedar Falls, where's that going? Because it's not going to Thailand. So you don't have to have everything figured out. Obviously, Taylor and I didn't. We were so young that I worked my income and her income was scratch cakery. That's what we built our marriage off of was that financial greatness. <laughs> we were both extremely poor, if I'm being honest, but I knew that I wanted to pass our college students, and she felt a call to teach, and those things went in the right direction. They could head down the same path. We knew there was alignment there, so we continued. We knew we had a lot of growing up to do, but we were willing to go on that journey together. It means that before you start dating, it's a decent idea to have a general idea of what you're called to. Make sure you know the relative direction of your life. You don't have to have everything figured out, but know some kind of idea so you can figure out they're on the same path. We are called to make disciples. We are called to die to ourselves and follow Jesus. Build your relationship around that calling. Called to follow Jesus. 
That means if you follow Jesus, you should probably date someone who follows Jesus. The same thing, though, would apply to an atheist. If you're someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, probably shouldn't date someone who believes in Jesus. That sounds like a lot of tension and a lot of arguing. It's good to be in the same path, whether that's your Christian, your Buddhist, your atheist. So I don't just say that to shun people who aren't Christian. I say that because you want to be on the same path. So again, if you follow Jesus, you probably should be dating someone who follows Jesus. A healthy relationship is not built around your relationship, but it's built around a mutual calling, a mutual direction. And every date, text, phone call, cup of coffee should either be pulling us towards the day we called husband and wife or away from that. And keep that in mind. We have to build our relationships on a good foundation. And this foundation is the teachings of Jesus Christ. So get to know what Jesus says. Read your Bible. Spend time with Jesus. We build our house on a strong foundation. Matthew talks about this. We build our house on the rock. When the storm comes, it's going to stand. But if we build our house on a sandy foundation that's got no strength, if our relationship's built on we just think each other are hot, then when the storms come, pew, it's going to fall. So work through your issues before entering into marriage. Push past surface-level conversations. Get deep with each other. Dig deep during your dating years to build your marriages on the solid rock of Jesus. Obey what he calls you to do. Build your relationship on the foundation that lasts, which is the foundation of King Jesus. So some of you are single in this room. I'd venture to say a majority. And you might be thinking, well, how does any of this apply to me? I'm single, and I'm ready to mingle, but no one's mingling. So this conversation sounds fun, but how does it work? Here's what I'll say to you. Do the work now. Work through your struggles now so you, have, you can bring a little bit less baggage into a relationship. Build your foundation on Jesus so that the relationship will be strong. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, that's all fine and dandy, but how do I even find a godly significant other? Here's my encouragement. Seek Jesus. Matthew 6.33 is very clear that we must first seek the kingdom of God and the rest will be added to us. It will be hard, listen to this one, it's going to be hard for Jesus to trust you with another person if he can't trust you to take care of yourself. This doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but before seeking a relationship, you should probably build yourself on some solid ground. It means read the Bible, pray, spend time with Jesus first, seek a relationship later, and maybe ask her to coffee. And I have two pieces of encouragement for us tonight. I know this message isn't all sunshine and rainbows, but I do have two encouragements. First of all, this is, this is good. Please don't settle. I think there's very few married people in here, so if you're not married, if you're dating, if you're engaged even, or if you're single, don't settle. Don't be desperate. Remember your worth. You are way more valuable than what that guy or girl thinks of you. You are the child of the Most High God if you call Jesus your Lord. Treat yourself with some respect. I think many people settle for less than what God has for them. Just because you've been dating for four years and have already had sex does not mean you're stuck with them. There's still freedom. There's still hope because there's no covenant before God. So you can choose a different path. Ladies, I'm going to speak to you for a second. If your man spends eight hours a day playing video games and doesn't spend time with Jesus, don't you dare settle for that. You deserve better. You are a daughter of the King of Kings. God has a man out there that wants to lead you, that wants to be the godly husband that you deserve. 
God has a man out there that wants to die to self and live to you and live to King Jesus. So do not settle for a man who wastes his days playing video games. Don't settle for a man that won't come to church with you or won't come to Chi Alpha with you because they would rather watch a sport. Don't settle for less than God's best because God has an amazing man out there for you. And I love you too much, even if we just met tonight, I love you too much to see you settle for something less than what you deserve. Find a man that wants to serve Jesus and love you. Do not settle for an apathetic man who isn't running after Jesus. Don't settle for a man that doesn't treat you well, that doesn't honor God with healthy boundaries. If he fights you on the idea of having stronger sexual boundaries and not pushing the limit, if he fights you on that and tells you that's stupid, it's time to tell him to kick the curb. Time to tell him to see you. If he won't let you honor God with your sexual boundaries, hasta la vista. Because God has more for you than that. Too many times you'll see wives without their husbands at church because their husband wanted to stay home and watch football or had a long week at work. He doesn't want to. Please don't let that be your story. God loves you and he wants more for you. Men also don't settle for a woman who doesn't love Jesus. She has to be on the same path. She needs to push you and challenge you. Let her. Let her challenge you to hire. Let her call you higher. Because all of us men need a swift kick in the rear end sometimes. Do not settle just to get married. Maybe you're a senior and you're like, I haven't found my spouse yet, so I better just pick someone. It is better to be single and unhappy than married and unhappy. An unhealthy marriage is destructive and can cause so much pain. That can do everlasting damage. Please trust Jesus to bring the right spouse at the right time. Do not try to fit a square peg into a round hole. If you are in a relationship and it's not great, I know the trap that you're feeling right now. Please listen to this. When I had that girlfriend in high school that I talked about, she was not following Jesus. But I thought that was the best I could get. I thought that if we broke up, there's no way I was going to find another girlfriend. That I wasn't good enough. That no one else was going to want me. This girl said yes, so this has to be the best. I thought that God couldn't have anyone else for me. That it had to be her. That she had to be the one. I was so, so, so wrong. God had the most beautiful and amazing girl on the planet just two hours away from me, waiting for me. If I would have settled and if I would have stayed with that girl, I would have missed out on the adventure of a lifetime that I've gotten to have with my wonderful wife. Please don't settle, I beg you, because I almost did, because I thought this has to be it, I can't be good enough, and that is simply not true. God has got someone for you. Please, please, please do not settle. If you follow Jesus, do not settle for someone who isn't as passionate for the Lord as you are. I want you to think of it like running a race on a track. You've got the long way, okay? And you're running. And at the finish line is King Jesus waiting to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And as you're running, you have one of three options when it comes to your significant other. Either me looking back, trying to pull them along with you, trying to drag them to Jesus. And if you do that, I promise you, you're not going to finish that race because you're dragging someone alongside you that's dead weight. So that's one option. 
And then there's two good options. Maybe you'll be looking to your right, and you see her or him running right, step with step with you. And that's beautiful. Because then you're going to finish together. You're going to push each other to run faster because you want to win just a little bit. Or maybe you'll look slightly ahead, and there's your significant other. If that's you, get your butt in third gear, and let's go. It's time to run. Do not settle for looking back for the rest of your life trying to drag someone to Jesus. I feel like some of us might think that if I don't serve Jesus and if I don't love this person, even though they don't love Jesus, then maybe they're going to go to hell and it's going to be my fault. This isn't in my notes. This is, I think, Jesus. And that's not true. If you are not married, it is not your job to bring them to Jesus. It is not your job to make an atheist a Christian if they're just as being your significant other. You don't have to force your boyfriend or girlfriend to follow Jesus. You just have to run after Jesus. It's not your job. You are free. You are released. Other people will worry about that. Don't ignore the people around you. If your parents, if your friends, if your pastors think that's a bad idea, they might be onto something. Trust those people in their life second thing we have, second encouragement is not, don't have too high of expectations. If, you're, if this man doesn't have a sexy beard, huge pecs, you can read both Greek and Hebrew, you can't be saying that he ain't for me, he needs a bigger beard. If when you look at that lady, you're like, she doesn't have that booty, she can't make a mean pie, and she doesn't clean after me, that's okay. Don't have too high of expectations, please. Your spouse will not be perfect. Don't do what I did in high school, which is make a list of requirements. Say, this is what my spouse has to be. Number one, I shouldn't share this. Number one was that she has to sing. Taylor doesn't like singing. Or, Taylor likes singing. Taylor's not her gift. But I love her so much. So don't make a list of expectations. Just, why not ask some people out for coffee and see if they're passionate about Jesus? they love Jesus and you guys can be friends and click, why not just try and see? Or maybe, maybe God has called you to singleness. Maybe you're, you're in this room and saying, I'm not ready to date. That's okay. The Bible is very clear, actually, that it is better to be single than it is to get married. Paul says that. So if you're in this room, don't force coffee upon people because you, because I said so. Sit and be single and run after Jesus so fast while you're single. So it's okay to be single. We are faced with a tall task. We are to navigate dating and single life and honor God in the process. I know a lot of you are single in this place, and you might think that this message doesn't apply. However, while you are in the waiting, why don't you ask yourself, am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Pursue Jesus first, and then you can ask her to get some coffee or other drinks. There's other beverages. I just don't like if you are dating, keep these four marks in mind. Don't ask how far can we go, but ask when can we start. If you've already started and have poor boundaries, it isn't too late. Make today a new day and start having some good boundaries. If your significant other isn't up for that, then they can go in a loving way. Don't be rude. Let your friends speak into a relationship and boundaries. Honor God with purity. Do the work now of figuring out if the person is the one. And don't be scared of God saying that they're not. I think sometimes we pray and beg God, bring me the one, and then we just pick someone. 
Say, that was the one, right? And he's like, no. But we get mad at him then. Don't do that. Trust God. Trust God. If you guys are not honoring God in a relationship, you're in a relationship, you're not honoring him, it might be time to reevaluate. I know a lot of us might be feeling shame right now. You might be feeling like, I've screwed it all up. That you've crossed too many lines. That God could never give me a godly spouse because I haven't been the person. And that simply isn't true. Before meeting Taylor, I crossed almost every line imaginable. However, God had something better for me. God pushed past my sins and failures, and he gave me a wonderful marriage. If it wasn't too late for me, it is not too late for you. You are not too far gone. And just as we learned last week, we have a God that laid his life down for us. He paid the penalty for our mistakes. He covered your sexual sin. He covered all of your sin with his blood and said, you are made white as snow. What our sin has made us scarlet, he has made white as snow. All we need to do is commit our lives to him and trust him. Obey the king. He wants a relationship with you. He wants something that's way better than dating or marriage. He wants to show you the agape, godly love. He wants to serve and love you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you hope. He wants you. If you would all stand with me. I know this is a heavy topic. I know this is a lot. There might be a lot of things swirling around your head. So we're just going to take some moments. We're going to ask a couple questions. And I just want you to be honest with yourself. So first, I want to talk to those of you who might be in this place and who may think I've screwed up too far. Or maybe you haven't made Jesus the King of Kings yet. Maybe you, this is your first time here. And you're like, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. Jesus is a God who came and lived a perfect life so that we didn't have to because he loved us so much. He took a bunch of imperfect people, created an imperfect church to glorify a perfect God. And if you're in this place and you do not follow King Jesus, you have an opportunity right now to say, I'm going to put my hand, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. So if everyone will close your eyes. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask that every person in here who does not follow Jesus or maybe needs to re-give their lives to Jesus, that they raise their hand. And the reason we do this is not just so we can see or so because no one's looking around, but instead it is for you to do something because sometimes we have to be obedient. So that's you and you have not been following Jesus and you want to change that tonight, I'm going to count to three and please raise your hand. One, two, three. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for our family. Thank you for this community. We get to honor you and love you. And I thank you that we get to spend eternity with you as our King of Kings. I love you so much. Amen. If you would keep your eyes closed, we have a second question. Maybe you're in here and there's a few things you're feeling. Maybe you're feeling shame because you've screwed up. And you're in a relationship that you probably shouldn't be. Or maybe you're in a relationship that you've been crossing boundaries. If that's you, we're going to give you a chance to respond. If you're single and you feel like you're just constantly worried about being single and trying to find the spouse and you haven't been pursuing Jesus, I want you to respond. If you have some really messed up things that have happened in your past that you haven't given to God, I want you to give them to God. So I'm going to ask John and Casey to come up. They're going to be on the left, or my left, your right. They're a married couple. And then Taylor, my wife, will be over there. And if you just need someone to pray for you that's been through this and is married, I want you to go to them and ask for prayer. Maybe you and your significant other have to go over there and pray. That's okay. But for the rest of us who don't go there, what I want you to do is if that is you, and you have not trusted Jesus with your romantic life, if you've crossed boundaries you probably shouldn't have, if you're maybe in a relationship with someone who doesn't love Jesus and you know that needs a change, I want you to lift your hands right now up to God. 
I want us to lift our hands and say, Jesus, take over. Jesus, I'm sorry. We're going to worship Jesus. And we're going to let him run with our lives. And we're going to sing this song. And if you need prayer, please come over to the, over here. We would love to pray with you. I'm going to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this community. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you, Father. We love you so much. And I thank you for paying the penalty for my bad sins. Paying the penalty for my baggage. Making it so I am white as snow because you are a good king. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to change our romantic lives. We love you so much. Amen.